This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, welcome, welcome. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Forber, your host here on Pet Life Radio's live call-in show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And we're here for you. We're here to answer your questions. We're here to talk pets. We're here to talk about it, really anything you want about your pets. Um, and uh, just if you have any questions loaded up, I did get one during the week to my email, drjeff at petliferadio.com. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. In fact, I have a great tie-in because one of the stories that I saw, which I kind of liked in my American Veterinary Medical Association, Smart Brief is a great segue into this question. And we're here, thanks to our sponsors, Brevecto, the best flea and tick control, 12-week protection, fantastic, more than a cone from Kong Veterinary Products, the great events, raising awareness of animal welfare through the arts, kind of great stuff. Also from Save This Life Microchip, and I believe we're going to have a new sponsor coming up. I talk about them anyway, so I'm going to kind of just throw a little one in there. And Zoetis, makers of Apoquil and Cytopoint. Apoquil is the most amazing, absolutely amazing allergy drug. It's the first of its kind. It's the first allergy drug that actually attacks the canine allergy at its source. It's not Benadryl and antihistamine that doesn't help at all except make your pet sleepy. It's not corticosteroid or cyclosporine, which are immunosuppressive agents that do work. They can absolutely can work, but they also are laden with side effects. This is really fantastic. Apoquil. Talk to your veterinarian. Anyway, I hope you are enjoying your summer, depending on where soon to start official summer in a few short weeks. But springtime is here. I know that some of the stories we're going to talk about kind of remind me that we are certainly here in the heart of spring, edging towards summer. So, Make sure that you are doing the smart things when it comes to your pets. And that is by keeping them shaded during the day. Make sure they have plenty of water. No, no park cars, no driving in the cars and leaving them even for 10 minutes. Not even five minutes. Unless like, I mean, you don't have to go nuts. Let's say you park right in front of your dry cleaners or you're in the dry cleaning parking lot. You crack the windows, you're going to be in there for literally one minute just to give your dirty laundry or whatever, pick up your old stuff that was dry clean. That's okay. I mean, you don't have to go nuts. But don't like, if you are shopping that you have no idea whether it could take one minute or 30 minutes, do not leave your dogs in a park car. And um, it's getting hot out there. And also make sure they have plenty of water. We've talked about tricks. If you want any information, just give us a call. You can also join us live. So here's how you do that. Very easy. Call toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, since we're here, we're live, we want to see your pets is you can join us directly online. Go to the website, PetLifeRadio.com. Scroll down to the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. And on our page, you'll see a Google Hangouts link. Just click on that link and you'll be here live with me. And we can talk. We can talk about your pet. You can show me your pet and uh, have some fun. Anyway, one thing that we've talked about it before and um, I just saw an article, and this makes sense because it's sort of before, you know, when we were talking about this, I, I'm always concerned about uh, panicking, panic situations. And as we know, there have been a number of influenza viruses out there. The last was um, H3N8. Now we have the H3N2. And uh, this one's getting a little bit more attention. And apparently it is, has affected some communities. 
And a veterinarian in Florida, I just read a little blurb about what she's been promoting. And, and I, I have to agree. And it's called, we need to really do our job to build up, and I love this term, community immunity. So that's community immunity. And if everyone sits back complacently waiting for that time when this might become endemic in your area, then there is a good chance it will become endemic in your area. However, if everybody does their share, getting their pets vaccinated against this potentially deadly respiratory influenza virus, then even if the virus hits, all these dogs are immune and they won't get sick and they won't then continue to spread it. So a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect example. Over the years, back in the late 70s, parvovirus became an entity. We were unprepared. I mean, there are people we knew that, for example, the cat panleukopenia virus is a form of a parvovirus. And literally, people were having their cats vaccinated with panleukopenia vaccine for cats. Anything they can do to build up immunity. Then, so what happened was we learned about parvo, deadly virus, potentially deadly. Some breeds, you know, of course, we see it more in puppies. Adults, we see it. Rottweilers were overrepresented. English Springer Spaniels were overrepresented. But so we knew there was a problem and everybody was on board and everybody was getting their pets vaccinated and everybody was doing a great job. So what happens? Over time, we don't see a whole lot of parvo. So what happens to the average? The mentality is, well, oh, come on, we haven't seen parvo here in years. What are we vaccinating for? And they stop vaccinating or stop titer testing to make sure that your pet is protected. So now what happens again? We are seeing parvo. So it's one thing to be cautious. It's also a good idea to be a bit conservative. I'm okay with that. But don't be stupid. So when it comes to having a potentially deadly infection that you can easily prevent, so talk to your veterinarian about the vaccine. Interestingly, and I think I made this point a couple weeks ago, there are some, obviously, with our new dynamic, population dynamic, and so many of us, are the millennials are working and these pets are being left home alone. So what are the options? The option is doggy daycare. Let's take them to day camp. They have a blast, which is great. But we are seeing now, because of this lifestyle, because of people, especially this time, and the weather, it's nice. You're out there. You're going to the parks. You're running with your dogs. They're mingling with a lot of other dogs. The potential for contagion is greater. And a lot of these facilities now are not recommending. No, nope, not recommending anymore. Requiring, requiring that dogs that come into their facilities are vaccinated against the H3N2. So talk to your veterinarian. I, I mean, I started vaccinating, and I ordered it for that particular reason, because I want to make sure that these animals were not going to be turned away. And otherwise, you have to stay home alone. And as we all know, who leave pets at home alone a lot, <laughs> the potential destruction, damage, separation, anxiety issues that might ensue. So if you can get your dog out there to one of these places, that's great. Okay, next up is said, as a practitioner, we've been down this road before. A lot of times we're faced with a risky procedure, knowing the following, that the procedure itself, the anesthesia itself may unfortunately kill the dog. But we also know that doing nothing will 100% kill the dog. So you have to sometimes make that bold move and say, you know, I know it's a risk, but at least we have a chance. You know, the, that old line. So you're saying I have a chance. So the key here is that sometimes we have to do it. So anyway, this is about Hadari, an 11-year-old. It's a Maasai giraffe at the Turtleback Zoo in New Jersey. Had such a terrible dental problem that he was no longer eating and losing weight getting very sick, the only choice they had, the only choice was to subject Hadari to the anesthesia. And they brought in, it was a veterinarian with a dentist to try to fix the mouth, the tooth. Unfortunately, Hadari passed away under anesthesia. It happens. It was really sad, but they knew it was a risk they had to take. 
in Washington, Washington State. So here out in the West Coast, north of us here in California, but a dog and a horse this week alone treated for rattlesnake bites. So don't kid yourselves. If you are a hiker, if you'd like to take your dogs, you know, trailing along with you in the mountains and the hills outside of town, understand that there are rattlesnakes out there. Be very careful. Again, again, lifestyle vaccine. But if you have this lifestyle and you do like to hike with your dogs and take them with you, take them into your vet and get the rattlesnake vaccine. Do I recommend it for everybody? Absolutely not. Are my dogs vaccinated? No. But if you have that lifestyle where you're going to go up where the rattlesnakes are living, you better get your pet's rattlesnake vaccine. This is a cute story, but I've been there, done that. I've had this happen first time. Many years ago, many years, like six years ago, I went to the Amazon uh, with a, a group called Amazon Cares, sort of a veterinary mission. And one of the stops we made was a, a place that was a, they called the Butterfly Farm, Pinto Posse. And as we were coming up in the little, these little boats on the Amazon River, there are these monkeys, these uh, red-faced monkeys, and they warned us, keep hold on to your belongings. Don't have anything sitting on a chair next to you. Anything that you have should be in pockets or clearly wrapped around your neck. Make sure your purses are closed. Why? Because these monkeys steal. They steal, whether they're doing it for fun or for a game, but they steal. So this came in the headline is monkeys can be criminals too. It's not just people. And uh, these are long-tailed macaques in Indonesia. And the same thing, they will steal sunglasses and glasses and cameras and purses. You name it. You name it. And cash. And um, they will then, what's interesting is they follow. It's not just to have fun and, and get you riled up, but they will then hand it to their offspring. It's almost like they are stealing to give to their family. What are they going to do with the cash? Who knows? What do they do with the sunglasses, the cameras? But they do take. So if you are ever traveling, just understand that it's not uncommon in the primate world, as we know, as we know for our primate species, that stealing is on that list of nasty things that you shouldn't be doing, but you're going to do anyway. And, uh, and the monkeys do it too. Uh, like this one, there are five parks, state parks in Michigan that have now become pet friendly. They finally took the lead from the hotels and a lot of other places that were pet friendly. And now some state parks that formerly did not allow pets in the state parks, five of them in Michigan, the state of Michigan, are now pet friendly. And this is a good one. And this is going to lead me. We're going to talk about this bill. And then when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about how one of the topics I wanted to chat with today. But the bill is this. Now, this has already happened in Los Angeles County. So for me, practicing in Los Angeles, this is not news. But now, statewide, the California Assembly has approved a bill banning the sale of dogs, cats, and rabbits in pet stores unless they were acquired through shelters or nonprofit rescues. Now, again, there are no pet stores anymore selling cute, ridiculously unhealthy puppy mill puppies and kittens in Los Angeles. So, and this is a number of years. So, all the pet stores in LA are pet stores that do just that. They will work with rescues. They will get their dogs from rescues, make sure they're cleaned up, healthy, spayed, neutered, and then they'll sell them. Not nearly as much as those pet stores used to sell the puppy mill dogs because it doesn't cost them as much. Or they can go to the shelters themselves and look for dogs and pay the adoption fee, depending on, just so you know, usually if you are a business that is going to give them, the shelters, a lot of business, the $75 or whatever it is adoption fee drops to like 40 bucks. So when you think about it, I used to work with a pet shop taking care of their puppies and kittens. And I was always telling the owners that they have to look for better sources because these dogs and cats are pretty unhealthy. 
And they were spending a fortune. They were spending sometimes upwards. Some breeds, they were spending $500. So, of course, you know, once you get them in, they take up space. These pet stores are usually in fancy malls. So a $500 dog, they'd be selling for $2,000. For $40, bucks, $50, bucks, $70, dollars, you go to the shelter, you get one just as cute. So it never made sense to me. So I told them that what they should do is start following the model that a couple of other stores outside of LA and other California counties have done, which was just that, going to a shelter, going to the, working with the nonprofit rescue groups, getting puppies, young dogs, you know, healthy, very adoptable, cleaning them up, make sure they're spayed, neutered, vaccinated, the whole bit, and then selling them for, I don't know, $300, $400. That's what a lot of the rescues are charging anyway. So that, that was okay. And um, anyway, the owners of the pet shop said no, didn't want to do it. And, uh, well, what ultimately what happened is you would have it. The law came down and all these pets just got closed. Had they listened to me, they would still be in business in a thriving, one of the most thriving malls in LA. And they're idiots. What are you going to do? So sometimes you got to learn your lessons the hard way. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about a very common puppy problem that I see all the time. For some reason, I'm seeing a lot of it now. And we're going to talk about it, how to fix it, how not to worry about it. And uh, so don't go right back here at Pet Life Radio. You're live with Dr. Jim. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Molly, here's your dinner. Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Asking the Best with Dr. Jeff. So before the break, um, the last um, uh, story I, I was talked about is a new bill that is being well, it was approved by Senate in California to ban the sale of puppies, you know, dogs, cats, and rabbits in pet stores unless unless they were obtained from either a shelter or a nonprofit rescue. Of course, the pet shops in California oppose the bill. Uh, it's going to for a vote before the Senate. I certainly support it. Again, here in Los Angeles County, this has been approved a while ago. So for the number of years, we have not had any pet shops selling puppy mail, puppies and kittens. So it's a good thing anyway. But one thing that it, it struck me, and for some reason, I have not seen this particular problem 
as much as I used to. But now, for some reason, I've probably done five of these surgeries in the last couple of weeks. So there's a condition that we see. I'd say the breeds that we see it most are going to be the Cocker Spaniel, by far. Shih Tzus and Losses get it. Bulldogs get it. I mean, it can happen in any dog, but those are the dogs that we seem to see it in more prevalence. And that is something that is a prolapsed gland of the third eyelid, aka, also known as cherry eye. Now, what's interesting is I've seen, first of all, it looks ugly. It really looks really bad. So first things first, cherry eye, the prolapsed gland of the third eyelid is not, I repeat, not an emergency. Meaning when you have a young dog and you go out to dinner and you come back and you see this big cherry looking pink thing in the inside corner of the eye, or maybe both, it's not, it looks terrible. Oh my God, it looks terrible. It's going to freak you out, but it's not an emergency. My point is, do not, I repeat, do not go to emergency clinic, spend a fortune. And one case that I'll never forget, not only do they panic and spend a fortune, they spend a fortune on the wrong procedure. We're going to get to that in a second. So was I a little bit on the perturbed side? You betcha. Interestingly, the only time, you know, I'm not totally always enamored by the lengths that some of these emergency facilities go, maybe because they want to cover their behinds, maybe because they're often manned by interns. Who who else is going to take that overnight shift? Just graduated school six months ago, and here they are making these decisions. So they don't want to screw up. So they're running every test in the book. Half the tests they're running are not necessary to get the pet through the night. Another topic of conversation we'll save for another time. So this particular doctor did the wrong surgery, and that is she removed the gland. That now, just, I don't know what this person's experience was, where this person was from, but rarely, rarely do we ever want to remove this gland. Sometimes you have to, but that was how it was treated 35, 40 years ago. By the time I even got out of school, my ex-boss used to still do that. And when I graduated 33 years ago, we already were not removing the gland. Why? Because this gland has a function, has a purpose. Uh, not a big function, not a big purpose, but it does have one. And that is to provide accessory tears. So if you remove it when they're young, when they get older and their tear glands start to tire out a bit and don't produce as much tears as normally, you rely, the dog relies on the tears produced by the gland of the third eyelid. But if that was removed, guess what? We end up with dry eye, which is a much bigger pain in the behind to deal with than cherry eye. As a matter of fact, some dogs can live with cherry eye. If the cherry eye itself is not that big and they can keep it moists via their blinking and their tear production, you can leave it forever. It's not. A, it's only if it dries out because it's so big. So what we do is, so again, it's not an emergency. I don't want you to panic, but make sure that when you talk to your veterinarian about repair, that they do not remove the gland. What we now do is we call, we tuck the gland. It's called to tuck the gland of the third eyelid, a number of different techniques. Uh, the one that I like the most is I make a little smile incision above and below the gland on the inside portion. So I evert the third eyelid. I make my incisions right under the lid on one and then just behind the gland on the other, push the gland inside this little pocket I just created and sew up. There's another technique that I learned I did not like. Though I'd done it, I can do it. And I sometimes have to do it. If I have a gland that's pop repopped or was not fixed properly the first time and I don't feel I can achieve the closure I want. And that is, there's a bone right here, right under the eye, the orbital bone, and has a layer like a film over it called the periosteum. So what we do is we go through the gland itself. We then take the needle, we go all the way down. We channel, funnel all the way down, pick up a little bit of the periosteum, come back around, back up through, again, through the third eyelid. This all be done in the interior part of the third eyelid. And then when we pull that knot tight, 
that gland, it's literally, it's like, it just sucks it right down. So basically the gland, the key of these proper procedures, whether you're going to do the orbital rim technique, whether you're going to do the pocket technique, is the gland is still there. It's still functioning as a gland. Hopefully it's out of sight. You don't see it, but it is there. So in the future, if it's ever needed, the tear production by that gland is needed, then you still have it. So, you know, the real question is, why does it happen? And nobody really knows, obviously, because we do see it. There's a huge prevalence in certain breeds, especially cockers. That I mean, I, I remember back in the day when I was working with these pet shops that were getting these dogs. There are some days I would do three or four a day of these surgeries. It was crazy. You know, 50% of the cocker spaniels at some point would have a cherry eye. And, and now I worry, especially like bulldogs, that I'm seeing older dogs with a higher prevalence of KCS, keratoconjunctivitis seeker, dry eye than I would expect. And I often wonder... Did these dogs have the prolapse gland when they were younger, went to a old country bumpkin veterinarian who did what they were taught to do way back and didn't go to CE, continue education since, and that is, and they removed the gland. So, I mean, that's certainly a possibility as well. So make sure, number one, this gland has a purpose. It is not an emergency when it happens. Oftentimes what I like to do is I actually will treat the eye first medically. I always like to stain the eye, which is a just to see if the cornea is at all affected or was affected. Maybe this was a, in a reaction to an injury because this gland is a very reactive gland, almost like a lymphoid follicular tissue. So that's why I like to treat it medically first. Sometimes we can get these things to go down. And if not, we can always do the pocket or the orbital rim technique, whatever your veteran likes to do. But make sure whatever this veterinarian does do, unless on rare circumstances, there's there are a couple of breeds I had a, a coonhound with these huge, heavy eyelids, and oh my God, this thing would re-pop up. Oh my God, I think I tried to fix it three times. Finally talked to a colleague of mine, a veterinary ophthalmologist, who said, Jeff, in some of these cases, you just got to take the gland. These dogs hardly ever get dry eye anyway, so don't worry about it. If anything, they produce too many tears, so not to worry. Go ahead and remove it. So I did, but I would never make that move without the advice of a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. It goes quickly. So uh, anyway, if you want to get a hold of me, you can always send me an email. I would love to talk about anything you want to talk about. Uh, to Dr. Jeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com. Next week, write those numbers down, 877-385-8882. Join us live. Also, you can uh, join us on uh, Google Hangouts. And thanks again to our sponsors, More Than a Cone by Kong Veterinary Products, Bravecto, Save This Life Microchip, and hopefully soon, Zoetis's Apoquil and Cytopoint. Have a great week, everybody. And uh, we'll be here next uh, next week, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, wherever you're from. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.